Recorded live. You're listening to You're listening to the Jam Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 tell us, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. There's no way we can defeat our enemy as long as we use his weapons against our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul warned us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, these things are not of God. The weapons he has given us to defeat these things include kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Paul tells us in Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those commands are intended for us today, every bit as much as they were intended for the Christians in Rome. Jesus has given you the spirit of peace, love, and a sound mind. It is in your power to live peaceably. Determine today to overcome the weapons of wrath with weapons of mercy. This is John Mayer for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. On stage, it's fun to push the limits and see where it takes me. Off stage, it's a different story. Get behind the wheel of a car after you've been drinking and you risk causing a crash, hurting, or even killing someone. When you're enjoying a few drinks, know your limit and don't push it. Plan ahead and give up the keys. You'll make it a safer weekend for everyone. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Evolutionists are all wet when they say that coral is one of the earlier creatures on the evolutionary timeline. This is the Creation Moments Minute. If evolution were fact, you would expect the corals to be very simple. You'd also expect them to have changed a lot in over half a billion evolutionary years. However, corals are not simple creatures. The stinger they use to immobilize prey is very complex. At one end of the stinging capsule is a poker covered by a protective cap. At the other end is a hollow tube, coiled like a rope. The capsule itself is filled with a powerful poison. Coral is surprisingly complex to be so near the bottom of the evolutionary ladder. In addition, the earliest corals in the fossil record are the same as those found today. So again, the scientific evidence fits well with the biblical story of creation. For Creation Moments Minute, I'm Darren Marlar. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
is by now a well-known fact that while rich countries become more and more prone to be wasteful, poor countries and regions are left without the most basic resources to survive. As believers, as followers of Jesus, this has to make us more than a bit uncomfortable. That's Father Albert Coutier, and today he brings you an inspiring message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's preacher. Thank you, Sherry. We're delighted to have with us today the Reverend Albert Coutier, priest in charge at the Episcopal Church of the Resurrection in Biscayne Park, Florida, part of the Diocese of Southeast Florida. Father Albert has ministered to millions around the world through his television and radio talk shows, as well as his books and articles. Formerly a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, he was officially received as a priest in the Episcopal Church on May 29, 2010. He told his story in his New York Times best-selling memoir entitled Dilemma. Father Albert, thank you for being with us. I'm very happy to be here with you, Peter. Now, you are the son of Cuban exiles born in Puerto Rico and raised in Miami, Florida. How did you experience your calling to the Roman Catholic priesthood and all that? That's interesting. I grew up in a home where church was important, and going to church on Sunday was certainly part of our routine. So I grew up in that cultural world of the Latino Roman Catholic, which is a very strong mm. cultural connection, as you know. Uh, it's hard sometimes for us who live here in the U.S. to understand that the Roman Catholic Church really is the center of life mm. in many Latin American countries. And I think it was that way for my parents as they grew up. But certainly my parents had a more secular view of the world. My father was an engineer. My mother a scientist, so they were, I think they grew up where church was important, but it wasn't the most important thing. Mm -hmm. My parents were very broad-minded people, if you will, but at the same time, for me growing up in that setting, where going to church was important, where looking up to priests and to religious sisters was certainly part of my upbringing, uh, vocation was with me very early on, and I can remember being 13, 14, 15, and beginning to think Maybe God wants me to do this. And a uh, very active parish with a very active youth ministry program, uh, that became possible. And I, I always say that my vocation started in youth ministry, and I continued working in youth ministry actually very actively, uh, leading programs as a layperson, a seminarian, as a priest, until I began my media work. And mm -hmm. then I started realizing, wait a minute, maybe God is leading me in this direction. And even within the media, I did quite a bit of, of youth work. Mm -hmm. Many people listening are probably aware of your story of leaving the Roman Catholic Church and being received into the Episcopal Church because of your desire to marry. And that had to be a very difficult time for you. How did it unfold? That's very interesting. I always tell people I never left the church. Mm -hmm. I think I moved on. Mm -hmm. I've always said that the Church of Christ is bigger than one denomination, certainly bigger than the Roman Catholic Church, certainly bigger than the Episcopal Church. But I embraced the Episcopal Church and Anglicanism after years of personal study. 
I received the Book of Common Prayer in a very interesting setting. One day, I go to lunch in the home of a bishop who's a dear friend of mine, Bishop Onel Soto, and his wife, Nina. Those who are familiar with forward movement and are familiar with day by day uh, know the work of Onel and Nina Soto. But the, the, the interesting thing is I'm sitting there at lunch, and we begin to talk about church talk. What a clergy talk about. I mean, go ahead. And here's this young Roman Catholic priest, or younger, I should say, <laughs> speaking to you know, Bishop Soto and his wife, and I see the picture on the wall, and I see this bishop and his wife and their four children, and I'm thinking, hmm. gosh, you know, that's beautiful. <laughs> and all of a sudden, after we talk about issues, which I think are issues that come up often in the body of Christ, you know, who's welcome to communion, uh, issues of contraception, uh, homosexuality, issues of who's in, who's out, uh, the governance of the church, for example, authority in the church. I remember the bishop's wife, Nina, telling me, Father, you think more like an Episcopalian than we do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those moments, mm -hmm. even moments I had even with Bishop Friday as early as the year 2000, those moments made me think. And then beginning to read the Book of Common Prayer, mm -hmm. I always think that I made this transition because of the Book of Common Prayer mm -hmm. and because of my wife. Mm -hmm. I think the Book of Common Prayer led me to understand uh, the greatness of our tradition, led me to understand our apostolic faith, our sacramental faith, and and that experience really did uh, motivate me to think about the Episcopal Church. Falling in love as a Roman Catholic priest where you're told, you know, you need to be celibate for life and realizing that, that God may be calling you to something else had a lot to do with it, obviously. So it, it's, a, it's a very interesting process. When people ask me about the book dilemma, they always say, oh, well, Father, how was that? It was a painful book to write mm -hmm. because you have to write a lot about your personal journey. You have to open up your heart to things that are very deeply personal, but also to painful experiences that that were part of that transition and are still to this day part of many people's transition. Because mm -hmm. there isn't a day, Peter, that passes that I don't hear from some priest in the Roman Church or in transition mm -hmm. that has told me, you know, I've experienced the dilemma you've experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been through that. But you don't become an Episcopalian just because you want to marry. And you don't become an Anglican just because, you know, out of convenience. You embrace the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion, which is, you know, really a diversity of churches within this umbrella that we call Anglicanism. And, and to understand that is not so easy for people. Because people want, if you will, the black and white of everything, you know, the easy answer. Well, mm -hmm. that's part of what attracted me to the Episcopal Church, to tell you the truth, the ambiguity mm -hmm. and, and the ability for us to agree to disagree on so many things. The, the Catholic and Protestant traditions come together the way they do in, in our church. And that's what's unique about us. That's what's special about us. And introduce us to the parish you serve now. The Church of the Resurrection in Bistine Park is a beautiful congregation. We just celebrated our 65th anniversary. It's a parish that's been through many ups and downs. Like churches that I know have, have suffered dwindling numbers and membership and that. I arrived there in May of 2009. I was a lay administrator for a year before I was received in the church, but I was able to work 100% with the community on developing the parish. And mm -hmm. what we realized is there were about 28 committed members at that time. The church was really in danger mm -hmm. of closing or in danger of, of dwindling, nothing, and decided that that was not going to happen. Up this this church and, and bring back members who had left. Maybe they were disgruntled or mm -hmm. upset or whatever. Well, now we're up to about 250. Mm -hmm. So we've had incredible growth. 
But we've also invited into the Episcopal Church lots of people who've gotten to know us mm-hmm. and who have gotten to know what we're about and who are interested in in, in this way of being church. Uh, I would say precisely in our policy, in our idea of governance and authority, in, in how we understand our role in the body of Christ and that which makes us unique. And so that has been very special for me. And, and every ministry you can imagine has developed their work, uh, work with uh, poor. We have a feeding program, which is beautiful. Lots with Christian education, for example. Uh, the W Episcopal Church women have started uh, again and have reignited uh, uh, mission there and daughters of the king and so there is a development of all these traditional uh, Episcopal things, but also some innovative things. Uh, my wife and I do a marriage program, for example, where couples are invited to to reignite and, and to uh, renew their relationships. I call it marriage renewal in English and in Spanish. That's one of the things that is unique about Resurrection. It's one community, but we worship in English and Spanish. So we have a, an English, traditional English service, and then we've got our contemporary, if you will, Spanish service. And people really switch back and forth because lots of people in Miami, like myself, were bilingual. So sometimes they worship in English, sometimes they worship in Spanish. So, <laughs> As we've said, you've had an international ministry through the media in both Spanish and English, and you always seek to address the issues that matter to people whether personal, political, religious, in in honest and direct ways, why is it so important for faith leaders to clearly address the real-life needs that people are wrestling? Mostly because we're stuffy Mm. and too theological. (laughs) I I, I love good theology, and and those who know me know that I'm serious about uh, academic matters and that, but I think when it comes to preaching and when it comes to reaching people through media, radio and television, we've got to be as direct and as simple in our approach as possible. And when I say simple, I'm not talking about dumbing it down. I'm mm-hmm. talking about being as clear as we can be in communicating what we want to communicate. And that's hard for clergy because we're used to either speaking from a text or, or saying things that sound pious and beautiful mm-hmm. in church. But the fact is, we live in a society where communication is no longer the art of a few people or the uh, approach of, of a few gifted souls. Mm-hmm. Communication is all of us. It's our entire community, our entire society. We are all communicators. The fact that anyone can post a message on Twitter or Facebook, the fact that any of us can have a website with content that any of us can actually get in front of a microphone and say something and turn it into a blog, mm-hmm. an audio blog or a, or a video blog. It means that we are in a society of communicators. So faith leaders do have this challenge today. Mm-hmm. Well, your sermon today is based on Jesus' teachings about money and possessions in Luke chapter 12. Would you read the text for us? Of course. The Gospel of Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? He said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. 
The land of a rich man produced abundantly. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Father Albert, your sermon is entitled, Generosity is a Way of Life. Thank you for being with us. I'm very happy to be with you. As a 21-year-old seminarian, I remember the afternoon when I walked into my pastor's office at my home parish, where I worked every summer through high school and college, coordinating youth programs and a vacation Bible school. And I said to him, I think God wants me to have a different experience of ministry. I want to go to the missions and work with the poor. He sighed and rolled his eyes as if I was going through some passing thing. After months of insistence, he began to realize I was serious. I was indeed going to do this. Calling and riding around, I discovered there was a migrant worker ministry about 300 miles from home in a small rural parish that was looking for someone bilingual who could help. So I quickly signed up. First week there, two Mexican religious sisters took me in their Volkswagen bug through the bumpy dirt road that led to a huge field where tomatoes and peppers were being grown and off to the side there was a long row of housing units that looked more like sheds than actual houses. The conditions were indeed deplorable, and the dirt floors inside the makeshift lodgings made it seem impossible that we were actually in the United States. But we were. My first contact with a family of migrant workers was unforgettable. Just as the two religious sisters and I walked into one of the homes of a family with four young children, I remember how the father and mother invited us to sit down. The kids had just opened the one and only glass bottle of soda they had. Immediately after our arrival, the mother signaled the children and they handed the bottle back to the parents. No questions asked. I was shocked to see how those obviously thirsty children did not hesitate to give even the little they had to their mostly unknown guests. That image has stayed with me for decades. It was a true act of great generosity. Countless subsequent experiences confirmed that the poor are often detached and so generous, even with the little they have. Greed and a disproportionate interest in possessions is certainly one of the great challenges we all face in our contemporary society. That it would not be fair to say this is something totally new or exclusive to our times, for it certainly seems to also be a real challenge for the crowds listening to Jesus in today's Gospel passage from Luke. 
I don't want this sermon to be another systematic condemnation of materialism in today's society. I think we've all heard way too many sermons about all that. I do believe this lesson from Scripture is challenging us to seriously reflect on how we are using our God-given resources and could even be inviting us to a change of attitude when it comes to dealing with our apparent abundance, especially in the most developed nations. It is by now a well-known fact that while rich countries become more and more prone to be wasteful, poor countries and regions are left without the most basic resources to survive. As believers, as followers of Jesus, this has to make us more than a bit uncomfortable. And beyond these feelings of discomfort, the urgency of the situation must motivate us to real action. In a 2011 study commissioned by the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, it was found that roughly one-third of the food produced in the world for human consumption every year, approximately 1.3 billion tons, gets lost or wasted. Other alarming conclusions in that same study tell us that every year consumers in rich countries waste almost as much food, 222 million tons, as the entire net food production of sub-Saharan Africa, which is 230 million tons. Fruits and vegetables, plus roots and tubers, have the highest wastage rates of any food. The amount of food lost or wasted every year is equivalent to more than half of the world's annual cereals crop, but it's equivalent to 2.3 billion tons, based on figures from 2009 and 2010. The parable contained in today's gospel, God calls the man who stores up an abundance of food for years, fool. can't help but make the connection with the foolish behavior that is so prevalent in today's supersize its society, and in our constant need to buy a lot more than we could ever consume just to be safe or to obtain a false sense of security. The truth is that every time we discard food because we don't know what to do with it or where to put it, we are manifesting the worst kind of human greed and wastefulness. We're also showing great disregard for God's creation and the resources we have been so abundantly blessed with. I can assure you, there are hungry people not far from your home who would feel blessed to receive what many of us simply choose to throw away. I recall a missionary priest, one of the poorest regions in Central America, who would visit South Florida twice a year to fill huge containers with everything our community in Miami wanted to throw out everything one could imagine from old clothes to outdated and mostly broken electronics. One day a group of clergy approached him and said, Father, what do you do with all this garbage? The priest humbly bowed his head and then raised his eyes and said, I want you to know that all these objects that are now useless to you, I have sustained my missionary parish and the neighboring community for the last 30 years. You see, my people value everything you call garbage, and they fix it. They recycle it. 
or make some use of each of these things. Nothing gets thrown out. I invite you to allow the words of today's gospel to resonate in your life. And I invite you to begin to experience what it means to be rich toward God. For to be truly rich toward God requires a real change of attitude, which considers everything we have as a blessing from above. Treasure those blessings by sharing them generously. True Christian charity begins in the heart and then translates into heartfelt actions. The great American comedian Bob Hope once said, if you haven't got any charity in your heart, you have the worst kind of heart trouble. Indeed, perhaps that is what we may be suffering from, heart trouble. The kind of heart trouble that makes us unable to fully experience the loving, great generosity of God. Furthermore, our inability to plainly see God's bountiful providence in our lives. We come to terms with the fact that God's generosity is great. We begin to realize how much more generous we must be. We, who are created in God's image and likeness. In the way we use water and food, in the way we use our money and resources, and in our care of all of creation, we can be rich toward God by becoming much more responsible stewards of what we have been blessed with. This becomes especially true and personal when we begin to realize that our abundance is not meant to be consumed solely by us, but must be protected, cared for, and properly distributed. Lord, you have blessed us with so much we want you to know that we are truly grateful. Let us never fall into the trap of becoming wasteful or overly preoccupied with storing up for ourselves that which is not truly necessary. And let us use everything you have blessed us with to be a blessing for others. May your generosity toward us make us truly more generous toward all, especially those in greatest need. Here's Day One host Peter Wallace with an important message. Day One is on the move. I'm excited to announce that we have moved to our new recording studio and offices on the campus of Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. We're excited about our new home, and we're grateful that a faithful supporter has offered a generous matching grant to help us pay for the construction of our new studio. We need to raise $25,000 as soon as possible in order to receive this match. Please help us meet this goal. Send a generous donation to our new address, Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or give securely online at day1.org. Thanks to your support and your prayers, the future of Day 1 is brighter than ever.
Father Alberto Coutier offers some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace. Father Albert, thank you for your challenging message on generosity as a way of life. You shared the experience you had as a seminarian with a poor family who nevertheless demonstrated great generosity to you. Jesus calls us to be generous, but generosity really doesn't depend on how great our resources are, does it? No. i got to tell you, uh, this is a hard sermon for me because this gospel evokes in me these emotions and these feelings, very vivid memories Mm -hmm. of how the poor have been so generous to me and so generous to everyone. To other clergy that have been on missions and, and lay men and women who have been on missions, they say the same thing. They say, "Wow, you know, the, the generous." It really is true. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between being rich in wealth, in accumulation of things, and being rich toward God, as mm-hmm. the gospel says. Mm-hmm. Because it says, "Rich toward God is different." The generosity of God invites us to be equally generous, and so that's the message I get from today's scripture passage. And you said to be truly rich toward God is to consider everything we have as a blessing from above and to treasure those blessings by sharing them generously. That's so different from the self-centered, greedy, cultural mindset that surrounds us. How do we guard ourselves from that mindset? Well, I think, first of all, as Christians, we have to think differently. And when I say think differently, I'm thinking gospel, gospel, gospel. Mm. We've got to go back to the gospel message and see why did Jesus say that and what what does that mean for us? Many times we forget that we're not put on this earth here by accident. The fact that you and I have these resources, the fact that we have been blessed with these things, and the way that we use those resources and things that we they've got to speak of our faith. So going back to the gospel means going back to understanding why am I a Christian, why am I in this setting, in this world right now, and what makes it different to be a Christian. Because as a follower of Jesus, we have certain obligations to the entire world. Hmm. And the way that we use water and food, the way we use God's resources, talk about the environment, sometimes not enough talk about the environment today. The fact is, all of this is God-given. All of this is God's freely given grace. Here we are. We've been graced and gifted with all of this. How do we use it? implement, if you will, the gospel message to our daily attitudes? How do we connect what we do on Sunday and what we listen to on Sunday with what we're going to do from Monday to Saturday? It's very important. We live in a society where we're used to throwing stuff out. Mm -hmm. And I guess the point of, of today's sermon was to try to tell people, hey, you know what? A lot of that that you see is trash. A lot of that can be used. Father Albert, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this week? I hope that the sermon and the gospel message will penetrate our hearts in such a way that we will think about our attitudes toward all of creation, toward everything we have been given. Hopefully, we'll be rich toward God, because God has been more than rich toward us. God has been extremely generous toward us. So, our response must also be generosity. We have been created in the image and likeness of a bountiful, loving, generous God. We must seek to imitate that bountiful.
generosity, that goodness. Father Albert Coutier, thank you for being with us. I'm very happy to be here, Peter, and blessings to everyone here at Day One. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
7,000 high school students drop out every school day. If you stack their desks one atop the other, it's a pile more than 17,000 feet high. That's 12 Empire State Buildings. But what's truly scary is that another stack is going up tomorrow. We can keep students in school. Visit BoostUp.org and take the first step. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. They called it Lynn Sanity, the crazy rise of a human meteor also known as Jeremy Lynn. Early in the 2012 basketball season, for example, Lynn popped the last-second tie-breaking three-pointer to beat the Toronto Raptors. His defender expected him to drive. Lynn calmly stood and shot. Weeks before, as Lynn's short career was fading, a series of player injuries put him back in the game. He played hard, heavy offense, quick to pass and assist. The NBA's first U.S.-born Asian-American revived the New York Knicks. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, also a basketball fan. When his chance came, an obscure player was ready, and Jeremy Lin responded to the high calling of our daily work. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to feedthepig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Get Council. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. All around us are broken homes, broken hearts, broken hopes. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth and say, Happy birthday, now you can guess your way through life. God as our creator has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his directions, our lives work. We're blessed, and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore or reject his directions, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to me. Trust in his word, then follow his directions. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham Lodge. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with
threat and find a way from her unguarded elbow. We'll be on tonight at uh, 8 p.m. for Nation Talk. We're going to talk about Pope's travels here to his, his, um, his travel here to the United his visit here to the United States and also the other news.
Best in Gospel Inspiration Music is heard here on Talk to and Jam Radio. This is the Early Morning Gospel Program, Morning Inspirations. Straight ahead, Kurt Franklin and Rich Mullins. Then, right now, let's pause. 7,000 high school students drop out every school day. If you stack their desks one atop the other, it's a pile more than 17,000 feet high. That's 12 Empire State Buildings. But what's truly scary is that another stack is going up tomorrow. We can keep students in school. Visit BoostUp.org and take the first step. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Should churches use surveillance cameras? Legal Insights. For pastors, here's a word from attorney David Gibbs, Jr. 
a pastor of a very new church called the Christian Law Association with a problem. He knows having two adults present at all times with children is a safeguard against liability. With such a small congregation, however, having two adults in the room was often difficult. Our attorney suggested consider using surveillance cameras. The law allows property owners, in this case the church, to install and use surveillance cameras on their own property. The church can now have more adults attend the main service and know the children at the church are safe and watched for. If you have any questions about the use of surveillance cameras, please call us at CLA. If it's been a while since you've been to our website, you really ought to check it out. ChristianLaw.org is a virtual tool shed of legal tools, legal advice for pastors and ministries, answers to difficult questions, links to helpful PDF files, and much more. Then there's our Legal Alert newsletter and a link that lets you contact a CLA attorney. So check it all out at ChristianLaw.org. Again, that's ChristianLaw.org. Hey, Nick Cannon here. So, of course, we all know there's lots of talent in America. But unfortunately, there's something else we've got way too much of. Childhood hunger. 17 million kids struggle with it in this country. But here's the thing. This problem is entirely solvable. Seriously, we already produce more than enough healthy, nutritious food in this country to feed every single last one of those hungry kids. We just need a way to get it to them. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks is out there every day gathering surplus food to give hope to hungry kids and their families all across the country. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Easy, 
and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
but that's what I feel truly until tonight at 8 p.m. for Nation Talk. Until then, God bless you. We'll see you in church and have a wonderful, blessed week.